This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of the Charlotte is Creative Podcast. What is up, my partner in crime, Tim Miner? What is up? I'm rising up after an amazing <laughs> creative mornings at the Mint Museum on uh, on Randolph Road. <laughs> By the way, way to start the year with cheese. He was like, what's up, Matt? Hey! I'm rising up here at the Charlotte is Creative Podcast. We're going to get you down here to town and country for it and get you into <laughs> one of these brand new models. Oh, it's the weather. <laughs> the, the sun is up. The weather is hot. So are the women and the beer is cold. <laughs> Come on down to the Mint Museum where art is flying off the walls because security guards did not show up today. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. All yes. right. So those. So and I'm now, Matt. And now. Okay. We're going to talk about the arts. Here we go. So I didn't introduce myself. I'm Matt Olin. I'm the co-founder with Tim of Charlotte is Creative and the co-host of the podcast. And the person you hear cringing in the background is our dear friend and creative leader, Jen Sudel Edwards. And um, hi, Jen. How are you? Hi. We always have security guards at the Mint Museum. Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. we, just, we just took Jen's credibility down at least 20 levels. Just being in the room with us. But uh, here's, the, here's the scoop, folks. We just finished, we just wrapped the January 2024 Creative Mornings Charlotte event, our first event of the year. The beginning of year nine. The beginning of year nine. Uh, the theme, the global theme is Rise, and we asked Jen to come and speak to us about that theme and how that theme sort of shows up in her life and her journey and her role at the Mint. And um, you were amazing. Like, you were so personal um, but I also learned so much during the talk too. It was this really cool combination of like, I got to know you better and I actually yeah. learned a lot as well. And that was really awesome. Good. Yeah, I would I would say one of the things too is, and it's something that we experience, people have a really tough time saying I'm an artist or sometimes even saying I'm a creative and they'll relegate themselves and say, well, I, I'm not an artist, but I help creatives, I help artists. And you really brought grace and dignity to the fact that empowering creatives and opening doors and enabling them and helping them be the best they can be is in itself a creative superpower. Mm -hmm. And that was that was powerful today. Thank you. What's funny, too, is to see you give the talk and to think back to when we talked on the phone and I was like, hey, you know, do you want to do this? And you were like, I don't know. And it's like, let's cut through the crap. I know you're going to do a great job. Deep down inside, you know you're going to do a great job. And lo and behold, you did a great job. I think it was it was over Christmas break, and it was two weeks away. <laughs> we there, didn't give you much lead up. To you it. worked well under and pressure. It was Christmas break. Yeah, yeah. No, I am always going to do anything for you guys because you Thank guys you really are like. I mean, I appreciate everything you're saying, but the work that you guys have done, and we've been in Charlotte the same amount. Well, you've yeah, been here longer. Yeah, but nine years. But doing the things, right? Yeah, I mean, like doing the things. I've been here as long as you have, and I feel like. I've watched you all do your work, and honestly, it's kept me on track. Well, like it's right kept me committed, and like, it's, I appreciate. And it. that's the way it should work. You know, it yeah. really is. That's Charlotte's superpower, if we have one for the creative community. I think is collaboration. It's mm -hmm. not always perfect, but we're there for one another for the good of the of the mm -hmm. sector. And it, it, there was just something. I think there truly was something in the air nine years ago. Because there were just people popping up, trying new things, looking at it a different Good way. Good arts, black market. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Even down to some creative, like, 
That's when Cher Charlotte was coming up. That's mm-hmm. not long after it was Do Greater mm-hmm. Charlotte. It was the Dottie Rose Foundation, mm-hmm. you know, all over. Yeah. Um, and we've seen the, re- you know, rejuvenation of the Charlotte Art League and the Guild of Charlotte Artists mm-hmm. and Namaste and Obra Collective. Independent Picture House. Independent Picture <laughs> yeah. House. Yeah, absolutely. So proud of those guys. So. Well, <clears throat> listen, before we dive into like some of the meteor questions, uh-huh. we're going to start with a, with a lightning round. Yeah, let's get the brain, <gasps> the brain yeah. calisthenics. So it's like maybe six to eight questions not for you to think about and really just short little rapid fire <laughs> qu- answers. You know the answers to all these questions. Just spout it out. Okay? Don't, don't let so it. So I'm going to start. What is your hometown? Oh, geez. Freehold, New Jersey. Freehill, New Jersey. Freehill, New Jersey, Bruce Springsteen. So is that where oh. is that his hometown as well? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that answers the second question, which is what is Freehill, what New is Jersey it known, known for? for? Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> oh wait, and the raceway. Oh. Nice. We had trotters. Mm-hmm. We had trotters. What cuisine? Like what? Oh my God! What it's is Italian. the thing you've got? Italian. But what Absolutely. is there a dish? Is there something that you've got to get if you go there? Uh, Federici's pizza. Okay. So and. Danny Federici, who was, I think it was Danny Federici, who was the um, keyboardist in the Bruce Springsteen band. Ah, so his family had the pizza joint in town. That all comes back to the boss. Um, yeah, I mean, Federici's has been around since before they were famous. But yeah, it was, that's the place to go and get pizza. Okay. For sh- there is nothing else. There's nothing else. <laughs> I mean, there's probably good food now. I, I don't know. It a, was actually a, a, town, a town where pizza is the only thing. Uh, that sounds like a town I want oh to visit. Oh my god, this is gonna get back to me. I know it's gonna get back to me. Yeah. Oh my gosh. All right. Here's another question for you, Jen. Did you ever have a nickname as a child? Yes. Yeah. Do you want to share it with us? Sure. Okay. What was it? Jenny. Oh, okay. I was expecting something a little more like curveball-y, but like you know. Well, like I had a like Corky. Yeah. Corky was my other nickname. That was what my brother called me. He called me Corky. 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 Like the, yeah. Like no, the Corky. Adjective. Oh, Corky. Like, yeah, quirky. Oh, you thought she was saying quirky? I thought you were saying quirky, but you're quirky. No, okay. quirky. Where did that come from? Um, he couldn't say Jen. And oh, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I might have given myself that nickname. Um, <laughs> actually, but like there were horrible things like, you know, noodle soodle and strudel soodle mm-hmm. and mm. yeah. Others we will be tempted to use, but will not. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. You're up. But we'll go with Noodles. Jenny. Noodles okay. not bad. I like that. <laughs> All right. What is the first album you remember buying with your own money? So not a gift. You like actually paid for it. You went to the record store. I went to two guys. Okay. It was the record and store. It was the record store. I mean, it was a like it was like a Walmart. It was oh. it was called Two Guys. They had bowling in the back. Um, <laughs> that sounds. But the best record section with posters for Grease and Kiss Ooh. and like a whole conglomerate, and I was able to buy. For two dollars, mm. I still have it. Yeah, the soundtrack to Times Square. Oh my oh. gosh! The movie Times Square, and it was all my punky rock, punky rock favorites. So Susie Quattro, uh, Talking Heads, XTC, Gary Newman. Oh wow! The Ramones, Patti Smith. Yeah. It wow. was. I'm and downloading still, that this afternoon. You can't. You can't get it. No. No. Nope, you You're can't gonna have get to it. go burn it, or uh, you no, know, was I'll it a cassette? Buy, I'll was go it go cassette? Buy some vinyl. No, it's a vinyl. Vinyl. Yeah. Well, the next time we have you over, I got my. I have my turntable set. Do you have up. a burner? No, but Gavin we can play does. it. You can yeah. figure out how to use his burner. Okay. Because I gave him that. I'm not complaining, Gavin. I gave him that, and he's never even <laughs> opened the box. Um, but no, it's. I love it too much, and the movie. I <laughs> think like the movie was formative to my 
growing up as well. I mean, I talked about all that Lower East Side stuff. So this is about runaways who um, hole up on the west side of, of the Midtown, like 42nd Street during the late 70s, early wow. 80s. Tim Curry's in it. I had a big discussion with Tim Curry. Um, That's vintage Tim Curry. That's like... Vintage Tim Curry. Creamy. Creepy. All of that. <laughs> Although um, I don't think he's left creepiness behind necessarily. He's no, just not less ever. creepy. Oh now my God, like even Clue. Kooky Uncle Tim. Even Clue. Yeah, even I have clue. a somewhat related question. What is the first movie you remember seeing in a theater? I don't know. Oh, really? Yeah, drawing a blank. I got I you I mean, there. I was, well, because I think I'm imagining things. Like, my dad took me to my first movie at Lincoln Center when I was six months old. I saw Peter Pan. Six months old? Six months old. Oh I'm going to movies my entire life. Yeah. Um, oh, gosh. I absolutely cannot answer that question. That's okay. We can circle back to I it. I think probably Greece was maybe mm-hmm. the most formative. I know I saw yeah. other things. But Tell me more. Greece. Tell me more. Tell me one. Oh, that was good. Nice. <laughs> Thank you. Thank what, you. What's yours? What? What's the first movie? Uh, you the first movie I remember seeing in the theater was either The Private Eyes with Don Knotts and Tim Conway, oh my God. or King Kong. Oh my God. The one with Jeff Bridges. Yes. Your parents took you to that. I love I that. Don't, I think my dad might have taken me or wow. something. Wow. I sure. love that you say Jeff Bridges and not Jessica Lange. I'm yeah. proud of you. I, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm proud of you. Yeah. Um, mine is generic. It's Star. It's Star Wars. Oh, yeah. Because I'm right in there. That's up there. But in then that. right after that, the other one is Fantasia. Oh, I remember wow. they had they re-released Fantasia. Yep. Every seven years, they would re-release the yeah. Disney movies. I yeah. kind of miss that. I know, do, too. I know. keep complaining. All right. This one, last oh, last okay, riff off this. Now, we got two more questions, but I know you'll remember this. First concert ticket that you bought with your own money. Oh, my God. I just posted about this. Oh, you did? Did you? I did because I was home cleaning out my parents' attic, and I found all my old Playbills oh, and wow. all my old, like everything. Um, the first concert I spent money on, oh my God, so embarrassing, that I personally bought for my parents took me to concerts since I was right. a kid. So like, but you chose know, for yourself. Is, I chose for myself. It was Hooters. <laughs> oh shit, I posted it. Shit, I want to say it was Hooters in Berlin. In my defense, Berlin's awesome still uh, yeah. to this day. Wait, no, wait, Berlin. No, is no. this "Take My Breath Away" Berlin, or am I thinking? Yes, some, but the first is. album with sex on it was yeah, and no more words. <laughs> yeah, but no, it wasn't. I did see Berlin at the same place, but no, the first concert it was Hooters opening up for Squeeze. Oh, all right. I know. I recovered. Okay. I still right, recovered. No, that's good. Yeah, Squeeze was the headliner. Yours, yours wasn't Bruce Hornsby. Was no, it? my first that I spent my own money on. Was Huey Lewis in the news? <gasps> okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But who have you spent the most money on? Bruce Hornsby. Wow. <laughs> I have seen over 50 Bruce Hornsby concerts. Maybe I might be tipping into 60 or 70 at this point. I've lost count. When we were in college, Bruce and his wife welcomed a son into the world. Twins. Oh, right. Sorry. Twin boys. I only remember. And Matt, Matt and his brother and got them. Onesies. Stop it. Carolina onesies. Stop it. And mailed them to him. Stop it. I'm. I'm gonna say, my first concert that I that bought the tickets with my own money was The Cure. (gasps) Now that's that's awesome. And my dad drove. My wonderful father drove me uh, to Chapel Hill, and waited in the car outside the Dean Dome for the breadth of the concert. 
and then drove back in the middle of the night with me and two girls from high school that oh asleep in the gosh. car. I think head on the door that tour was the first time I slept out for concerts. Yeah. Where my mom like let me go and sleep out behind the record store in mm. Matawan. I slept in South Park Mall back when you could do that for U2 tickets on the October. I did. But you're in the mall. That's not really By rough in it. fire. In the mall, so the, yeah. you know, you're not outside with no. Yeah. It's outside. Not, well, I mean, what is this? A cool con- yes. concept? I'm never gonna be cooler than that. That's true, Jen. That is absolutely. I grew up true. in Nashville, Tennessee. She was Manhattan, <laughs> or you know, close to in New Jersey, <laughs> the Garden yes, State. I did start commuting when I was 12. All right, so. But All yeah. right. Well, let's actually get into the meat of this. I think, thing. Uh, yeah, I think our synapses are fired up now. But oh. um, so <laughs> Jen was like, hit me with more questions, man. I love this lightning. How do you take your coffee? Oh, my gosh. Very little milk, preferably oat milk. Okay. But very little. And I All like right. Cafe Bucero. Yeah. Oh, until my stomach yes. lining starts hurting. Yes. <laughs> switch. That's, I, I gotta, I gotta, if you haven't gotten the little Brazilian coffee pot that you put on the stove, that I that's and how I drank coffee up until I think I was 30 and I could afford a Mr. Coffee. <laughs> so no, I don't use that. We did cowboy coffee too, okay. where we would boil it on the stove yeah. and then pass it through a sieve. That's that's kind of kind of like this. I mean, you guys just heard me say that I was a performance poet until right. I was 29. I had no money. <laughs> that's right. I Sanka. had no money. Stir it up. Living in New York City. You can convince yourself no that money. Sanka is a liquid <laughs> yeah no that's disgusting CLT first that's spelled C L T one S T it's a refreshing new podcast of Charlotte people by Charlotte people for Charlotte people no bots no AI just real human voices we call it news for people who are so over local news we work with natural allies all locally owned like the Charlotte Ledger Queen City Nerve Charlotte Post and many others we're all about local 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 with minimal murder and mayhem find us on Apple Podcasts Spotify or Instagram change your morning routine with us CLT first Well, for those that were in the room this morning, they got to hear you talk about some of your sort of your creative origin story and some of the creative uh, disciplines and just work in the world that really sparked your curiosity and your interest as a as a young person. Um, and, and all of this ended up leading, and, and I don't want to recap all of that because people can watch the video and, and the podcast is sort of a companion to that. So, um, but what I'm curious about is as you found your way into the museum world, into the world of curate, uh, curating, um, I would love to hear a little bit more about your first experience on staff at a museum. Like, <laughs> what was that? What was that like when you're 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 very first like, okay, I think this is what the calling I'm 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 being called to, mm-hmm. and you land that first experience. What was that? What was that like? Did it feel natural? Did it feel scary? Did it was it challenging? So, is this Absolutely, my first experience on staff, or the first moment where I was like, I want to do this. You can bridge the two. I, if you I actually want. quite okay. like both. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, my first experience working in a museum. So, I will say I've been hiding out museums for as long as I can remember. Like, mm-hmm. I can't remember the first movie I went to because I went so much, but I remember my first experiences at the Met 
like at the age of like four or five hiding in the temple of Dendur while my mom went and looked at all. Oh, I have yeah. to admit like the Asian art really bored me when I was a little kid yeah. and that's where she loved going. And so yeah. I would go hide um, or like going with my dad um, to his lunch breaks in Central Park and sitting on the lap of Hans Christian Andersen mm-hmm. as he was reading like the Ugly Duckling. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when I first connected with work. When I was in grad school, I didn't know if I wanted to be a teacher or if I wanted to be a museum person. So I taught for a semester and then I was an intern at the National Gallery of Art. And that was just a very generic role. So that was my first job, but I liked it. And I liked being with the art. I liked talking to my colleagues. And what was your role there? I was the curatorial intern. Intern, So it was like doing everything. I had 12 artworks I need to research deeply, Mm -hmm. conservation issues, the history of the works, how they'd been displayed. And then just like wandering around and watching how people engaged with it. Like it was a really, it was a good training program because you met with the education, you met with every department. Mm. And the idea was like, if you don't become a curator, maybe you want to work in education or maybe you want to be a development person or you want to mm-hmm. do marketing. Like it was just kind of exposing people who were getting their master's or PhD in art history. There aren't a lot of spots for curators. Maybe you want to pivot to this. Yeah. And then the first job where I was like, no, this is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I got a job as the um, the curatorial fellow at the Gray Art Gallery, which is NYU's mm-hmm. art gallery. That's where I went to grad school, well, mm-hmm. college. Um, but they were doing a show on the downtown scene. So mm-hmm. it was the scene that I grew up with in New York City. So from 1972 to 1982. And I'm sure I got the job because I had been in New York during that time. Yeah, And... That was this moment where I was like, oh, my God, all of these things. I mean, I talked about it in the talk. Like, it was things that just, need, A, seemed like throwaway stuff, like snowballs and drawings of rats pasted on the wall and um, posters. And But it also, um, so it was ephemeral, but it was, it, it was just, I don't it was so just a way of living and this was a museum show that was actually elevating all of these things that were throwaway things and you know not worth any money still to this day but recognizing that there was value in it because it spoke to someone it changed people Mm. in some way and that's when I was like okay I can tell stories through objects and I can really use things that people would normally discard I mean that's why I love doing work with comic strips Mm. in it or I do things with wallpaper or I mean that's why I like working at the Mint because we've elevated fashion a dress is just as important as that Queen Charlotte painting upstairs Mm -hmm. which is just as important as you know we actually have one of those Brazilian stovetop coffee boiler like in storage because we have a design collection right it's a classic design it shows up in art a lot a lot. Well, yeah. that's great. Picasso, for sure. You sort of, I mean, you've already answered my follow-up question, which is how is your, what is your your second experience like? And, oh, good. And, and I love asking that follow-up because it, often a creative is sort of getting their sea legs, they're figuring out, they're trying it on, and like, does this feel right? And they're also building their confidence. I love the fact that your second real professional experience was so down the fairway for you. It was like you were just immersed in the work that you already loved and knew so much about. So it was like, to me, that would be like the universe saying, this is your path. Yeah. And this, you know, it sounds like that was sort of how it felt. Oh, totally. Yeah. It was absolutely everything I could have wanted. And that's when I committed. I One of the things I love that you just said too is you started your career in this observing how other people interact with and observe art. 
um, it it and that's it wasn't such a theoretical thing. You watched human beings come in and interact with pieces that maybe they agreed with, maybe they didn't, maybe they got it, maybe they didn't, maybe they thought they got it. And still yeah. Didn't. Now, as a curator, how do you make time, or how, how do you get out there and just watch? people interact with the with the exhibitions that you put together yeah I do um which is always stressful but yeah I mean actually Tim my master's thesis was I got a fellowship to the Philadelphia Museum of Art and I stood in my master's thesis was on the last work uh Marcel Duchamp did it's called Etonne Donnet and it's a wooden door and it's just it's like down this dark hallway and it's a wooden door and there are two little peepholes in it and you have to go up to the wooden door and press against it and look through it and the door is disgusting right like it's got face stains on it because it's 50 years people have been right. pressing their face against it <laughs> and so and then the other room in the light with like windows looking outside is all of the other Marcel Duchamp work challenging in itself but everyone knows they should go and look at it right. so for a month I stood in that hallway and I watched how people interacted with that and then what they would do when they would come into the hallway and whether or not they would go up what their reaction would be and um, because at the time they weren't allowed to show what was behind the door. So it really was a shock to people. Mm. Um, and so that started this is sort of like, or maybe I was always interested in it, but like that's part of my practice is I have to see how people are engaging with it and is it working? Is it not working? How to pivot? Um, and even when I go to other museums, I was at the Annie Leibowitz show at Crystal Bridges and I went around interviewing people about like their experience, what they liked and what they didn't. Um, so it's just making the time to just kind of go up there and like wander around, see what people are pausing at, see they're reading our labels. Um, 50% of the time they are. Um, but I don't get to ask people like what they think about the work as much as I wish I could. Like, did right. you get this work? Did you like this work? What did you like about this work? It's, that's the thing where I don't have the time to really engage with people and hear what they're saying. I'm just looking. Right. And it's a quick look because I'll like walk through the galleries. Maybe I'll sit for five minutes. But um, I absolutely do not feel like I, I see it. And that bums me out because I really am trying to push. One aspect of how you work that is really inspiring to me is you make the time and you create places for artists who are ready mm. for a new experience. You know, some of them are new to putting together an exhibition, period. Most of them in Charlotte have never been displayed in a museum, particularly one of this caliber. What is it like to observe them, observing that for the first time, seeing their work, seeing people interact with their work on a scale like this? Um, it's horrible. This <laughs> is real talk with Jen Sudol Edwards. It's horrible. It's so stressful. I mean, it's a combination of things because if they are really new at showing the work, they are terrified right. and they will not let go of what they're making. It's, mm -hmm. it's really difficult to get them to the point where they will be like, okay, it's ready to go. And you'll be like, just, just stop. Just, yeah. Just stop. Just give me. Give me a painting. Just, Let's like, just turn it out. Give me a painting. Yeah, I mean, we've had people come in and work on the pieces when we're trying to hang them. We're like, no, yeah. no more strokes. Yeah. And you're yeah. done. But um, getting people to the point where they can let go is a hard thing to do because I understand the anxiety for yeah. sure. Um, and we are changing things. Jamila and I have been talking about this a lot, actually, because she's in the same position where we're trying to 
be more engaged. I usually try and empower the artists to like do um, a lot more on their own. And then I come in and we have like maybe just two or three meetings that are intense and long. But now I'm trying to maybe like come in more at the one month before the show point to be like, okay, this is looking good. Or I think you only need two more days. And so getting the work on the wall is always like, Mm -hmm. you know, a stress, a stressful situation. And then getting the work on the wall, then there's the anxiety of, oh my God, are they happy? Mm. Are they miserable? Is it not what they expect? Because it's, and I mean, I know it. I feel the same way. I can't look at things that I've published or things that I do Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh my God, that's not what I wanted to be. Every, I just see what's missing. Yeah. And... I know they're feeling the same way. And so like trying to, when I see that the work is incredible, I still know that I have to, I have to convince them it's genuinely true. Mm -hmm. And even artists who, and I'm calling them out, even artists who seem very confident and very brazen, like damn it, Wesley. Mm -hmm. Like I've had him say to me that he didn't think he deserved to be in the museum because of the work that he was doing. That was doing it for some other reason. And I'm, I remember he said that to me after a talk we did here. And I was like, I own your work. His work is in both of my offices at the Mm -hmm. museums. Like I believe in that guy so much have the moment I Mm -hmm. stepped foot in his studio. And even he, who seems like, you know, there's so much confidence and like, I mean, it's a scary thing to do on yeah. both sides. And, and my job is to get them to to go to the very limit and then jump off. Yeah. And it's it's never easy, mm. ever, yeah. easy, ever easy, well, ever. I, I think, uh, and then I know, Matt, you've got a question. You know, we, we don't, for so many artists who are displayed in museums, they're dead. <laughs> we we don't get to see them be nervous. We don't yeah. get to see them, you know, they're it's not even their decision when and where the work is being displayed. You're right. And so I, I think you are this. you but but you are I mean but you're providing such a you know, such a vital to help people realize their their worth in their own time. Yeah. is, you know, um, so critical. I mean, imagine what Vincent van Gogh would have been able to maybe wouldn't have because he fed on you know misery but i mean if he'd had true support systems Mm -hmm. and someone helping him figure out how to create while appreciating it at the same time thanks tim you're so jen multi-dimensional in my eyes and two of the many ways that you show up in the community are as a seasoned uh talented curator and as a champion of emerging artists and and of Rising, rising star artists as well. Um, what would you say are like, I guess the qualities of being a great curator or being a great champion of artists, um, I don't know, do, they, do those qualities overlap in some ways? Like, do you see your work as a curator overlapping with your work as a champion of artists mm-hmm. out there? Because uh, they feel like related roles, but, but different work to me. Mm-hmm. So I just love to hear your musings on that. <laughs> Um, I love that follow-up look. <laughs> um, I mean, I think they do go hand in hand. The difference for me, like as Tim pointed out, because I'm working with living artists, like 
it is a bit different. Every curator believes in the work that they're showing and believe that's important for an audience to see it because there is a message in there that's imperative to get across. Usually it's because of something pressing in the time, but there's a reason why it's important to get out there. Um, for me, I mean, I know I just said this is like a horrible traumatic thing every time I do it but Tim you're right like it's really important for me to see that um it's important for me to see the active change like right now um Todd Herman the director of the museum and I are working on an early Rothko show and that's super exciting I'm really thrilled to be doing it and fascinating work I can't wait to do my essay um, and to do the show but he doesn't need my help <laughs> like he's doing just fine and he's dead um so for me to see like for me to see damn it change his method and to be pushing the work out there in a different way and changing things and like that's what's really gratifying because I don't get to talk to my audiences I don't really get to see it and I do want to have that measurable you know quantitative result because it is a stressful job and I do work very long hours and I miss things my kids do and that's fine but um it's I want to see that there's there's a reason why I'm doing it and seeing that result mm. for the artist is is why I do it entirely you do so much work to not only curate exhibitions of of national international prominence and import and um with artists you'll never meet, but you've at layered on all of this work mm -hmm. with, with upcoming and local creatives, you know, that's not an expectation that, that many museums put on themselves, mm -hmm. but the mint has kind of led the way mm -hmm. with you and Todd and, and everyone here and Brian. Mm -hmm. Why and Jonathan is, Stolman. Pardon? Jonathan Stolman. Absolutely. Adam so. Justice did too before I was here. Yeah. <laughs> but, but why is that? Why has that been important to to the mint? Mm -hmm. What do you, you know? Because that's a, I, I know that that's a mission that you took on mm -hmm. on your own as an institution. Mm -hmm. I think um, everyone who has been at the museum and and kind of done this work at the museum, we all believe in a cultural ecosystem, right? Like, and that's something that's micro and macro, right? Like, it's it's your neighborhood, it's your city, it's your state, it's your region, but you can't have any real, real, I believe, you can't really have an important impact on the world unless you're doing it on your city and or, or your neighborhood or town, like wherever you are. And that starts with the people who are there, who mm -hmm. live there. Mm -hmm. And I just, again, like those formative years being in Greenwich Village and seeing everything happening around me out in the street in corners in galleries in people's apartments in storefronts like having that no matter how horrible things were the crime was horrible it was filthy there were rats everywhere it smelled bad everyone was broke it was just a disaster that city was falling apart the government was corrupt police force was terrible but Everybody was trying to find a way to survive. And that basic level of only finding that sort of sustenance, that ability to rise mm -hmm. through making something, whether it was origami at your desk or something you tagged on a wall, like 
that was what I saw elevate these everyone out of this really desperate time. And so Charlotte is not in any way in that position necessarily, but having that culture where you live makes you kind of impervious to just completely falling apart. Like all the Mm. stuff I said about the pandemic, like I really believe that's true, but I feel like, you know, Jamil and I were talking about this yesterday with the Palestinian Israeli conflict. Like the only way when things are this terrible is to lean into the artwork and have that be the place where you can have these safe spaces and have these opportunities. And you can't do that unless your community is educated in visual language and cultural literacy. Otherwise it's, it's an alienated scary place. Well, you are leading the way in that. And I cannot think of a better person to have brought this theme of rise. Um, to the community uh, this month. And so thank you for saying yes to that. Yeah. <laughs> and thanks for everything you're, you're doing to help uh, local artists rise. I say local artists, but I'm gonna say Charlotte artists rise, right? Mm-hmm. And and for re- helping Charlotte as a city rise as a, as a great uh, creative community. So you're amazing and, and it's an honor to call you a friend and a colleague, so. Oh, ditto for you guys. Thank you yeah, for thanks. all you do, not just with the advocacy, but telling people it requires money uh, yeah <laughs> yep yep that revelation um what I, is I, the chant today pay it uh, oh, oh it's pay, a, the fee. pay the pay fee. fee pay the fee i you know <laughs> i fervently believe that that in cities around the the country and the world in years to come there's going to be they'll they'll be hey did you know that the Edie sol consolas uh ex- exhibition is coming through our town you gotta go and that starts with the time that that you and the Mint have invested in artists like Eddie Soul, like Damn It, you know, like Carla, mm-hmm. like Will, and so so many countless other like um, I'm trying like Milan, Arco. yeah, Arco, Alan, and Arco. and it will be you know yeah. people won't know Milan, quite how right. they got there, mm-hmm. but you're going to be a critical part of their journey, and mm-hmm. so is the Mint, and that that. That makes this a living institution. Thanks. And, and we're grateful for it. So This was a great way to start the new year. I'm, I'm excited. Thank you, Jen. Thank uh, you. Tim, we got through another podcast without breaking too many things. And um, <laughs> I'm looking forward or each, to... Or each other. I or mean, each other. And, thank you, and Brian, for making... Many thank thanks, you, Balto. Yeah, many thanks to our amazing producer, Balto, who is five <gasps> minutes late now. That's right. So... We will see y'all next month at the next Creative Mornings Charlotte event, but also yep. the next edition of, uh, of the Charlotte is Creative podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone. All right. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. Queen